This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Uh, this week we've been doing alternate, alternate states of consciousness. Um, we basically nailed it for the most part. Um, I don't think we left much out. Uh, there were a couple of items that were left out yesterday. Um, does anyone remember any of those? They were like, I, I remember I just had, like, I think a list of adjectives with the word, uh, I don't remember what, really. Anyone remember any of that stuff? You guys don't care anyway. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit now today about alternative healing. Alternative healing. So, so we're going to start with this, that God gave each of us a body and the body is meant to be ultimately in a nice relationship with the soul. The body and the soul are supposed to be good friends. What does that mean? It means that the soul says what it says. It's got a soul voice and the body has got its body voice and it speaks up in its body and the and that they're in a relationship and the relationship works well. Now, the body voice which we're not going to focus on today so much is that there's there's a body voice that's that's interested in immediate gratification, and you know it just wants it's greedy, it's childish, it's petty, it's it wants um, physicality, sexuality, it, it wants to eat, you know, whatever it wants to eat. That's also body voice, but we're not going to focus on that today because the body has other voices. And one of those voices that the body has is physical ailments. Whenever a person is, is not feeling well, whether they caught a cold or they're having aches and pains like backache or, or chest pain or, um, or they're having breathing difficulties or they're having headaches or they're having digestional problems or they're having um, uh, knee pain, lower back pain, neck pain, all these different things... Um, are all these different things are part of the body voice. I Meaning if I stepped on your toe really hard by accident, obviously, but if I stepped on your toe really hard, there'd be a voice in your head saying, toe, toe, and your toe would be like a cartoon just like throbbing. You know, it's kind of pulsing. You can like feel your pulse in the toe, as you know, if you've ever stubbed your toe badly. You know, it's just pulsing. So... So there's a strong body voice there, strong body voice. And, and not only that, people who work out or do sports, their body generally, it's like your body's kind of like a, a weird animal. I don't know what kind of animal's like this, but the more you feed it, the hungrier it gets, which is kind of strange. But uh, they say that about, about a certain aspect of the body, that, and you'll feel it after sports or workout. The more you feed it, the hungrier it gets. So when you finish working out, you're going to be very hungry. And you may even have your, your um, sexual appetite peaked after the workout, which doesn't make a lot of sense because a lot of people tell a guy to go, go spend all your energy working out or something. If they're trying to get a guy to take a cold shower because his sexual uh, desires are strong, so to tell him to go work out is kind of an interesting thing to do, because uh, because now his uh, his <laughs> he actually could have even stronger appetite after a workout. 
So, so the body is, uh, but the body's got a voice for sure. And it doesn't have to be sexuality, the sexual appetite being piqued by, you know, as a body voice can be totally kosher. It could be for one's spouse and should be for one's spouse. And if someone's single, then they definitely need a cold shower to wait for that, you know, play the waiting game. Um, but back to the original saying is that when it comes to the body voice, that particular body voice, it's the, that's the saying, and especially the sexuality, is that the more you feed it, the hungrier it gets. So you can now make a duke or an inference the other way, that the less you feed it, the more it leaves you alone. So the more you feed it, the hungrier it gets. The less you feed it, the more it leaves you alone. And that's why, for example, people who come to Jerusalem to study Torah and they're in yeshiva or whatever that is they've chosen to do, that they take a real strong break from interacting with, with uh, people, you know, meaning physically, intimately. They take a break, a strong break from that. And, they, uh, and what happens is it actually leaves them alone. It'll actually go away. It doesn't go away completely, the sexual urge, but it will go away uh, uh, very much so. And and therefore, and the less you less you entertain that part of you, the the less it will bother you. And so, that's an important thing to note. And of course, I'm sure there's plenty of people get tri- tricked into thinking, well, I'll just give it a little. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a heroin addict, you know, like, we're just going to have a little heroin, you know. <laughs> Famous last words. Stop after one spoon. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work like that. That's like one bite of cake, you know. How many people have mowed through a cake just a little tiny slice at a time, you know, just having one little slice, you know, and then you just keep mowing. <laughs> you can mow a lawn or you can mow a cake. And the anyway, but the, but that's just a bad idea because it just doesn't work. Again, the body, you give it a little, it's going to want more. It's like it's like potato chips or Doritos. You know, try eating one Dorito. You know, it's, that's not going to happen. And and so and so, you just want to be careful that that voice. Now, let's put it all together. The body voice is supposed to be quiet. It's supposed to actually be quiet quiet. When it's talking about physical urges, it's supposed to be quiet. And it's also supposed to be um, the pain in the body is supposed to be quiet. I mean, you're not supposed to be feeling a stubbed toe unless, of course, you stubbed it and then it's healthy, then it's feeling pain. But you're not supposed to, on a day-to-day basis, feel ailments. Now, no one's on camera here, but who within a given week has pain somewhere in your body? Like somewhere. Stomach, headache, this ache, that ache, the other ache. Okay. And now you'll see, um, you'll see for an example, just uh, please, the same people raise their hands. Um, tell me, it could be anyone though. Let's just say, let's just say, give me causes of headaches. Raise, everyone raise your hand. Just raise your hand again. I'm going to call on you and you just say one word to cause of a headache. You can use two words. I'm Dehydration. Dehydration. Withdrawal. Withdrawal. Lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance. Stress. Stress. <laughs> kids. kids, yeah. What? Stress. Stress. Seminary girls. Seminary girls. Yeah. What? Lack of sleep. Lack of sleep. 
Now, we could keep going and going and going and going, and if I listed on this board, we'd run out of room. In other words, are any of these things cause of headaches? None of them are. No, you're the cause of your headache. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with people, you know, like you're with people, and I'll be with people who just like will pull out the most random little tidbit of the local environment of why they have a headache. And I'm like, gee, you know, now if I really want to be mean, and I sometimes do, I, I'll say, oh, everyone else noticed that all the windows are closed in this room and got a headache? And I was like, you know, people are like, what would that have to do with a headache? And I'm like, well, ask this lady over here. <laughs> She's got a headache from all the windows being closed. You know, I mean, we're in this super high ceiling place that had, like, more air than, like, any room I've ever been in. You know, like, the ceilings were, like, five stories high, but the windows were closed. You know, so, anyway, the, in other words, headaches aren't caused by any of those things, nor backaches or any other ache. Stomach aches, digestive problems, like, none of that's caused by that. They're caused by us. Now, there's different ways that we cause these issues. Uh, there's some are more popular than others, but one of them is just our own neuroses, meaning we, we get neurotic about certain stuff. And when we get neurotic about that stuff, you expect a headache or a stomachache or a backache or something. We, there are people who are just simply neurotic about certain things. And to define the word neurotic is that we, we will get totally obsessed about a detail of something, and we can't necessarily work our way out of that situation. We're stuck there. And so the way we're going to deal with it is we're going to produce an ailment. That's, we're going to link to that particular issue there. So that's one aspect of it. Another thing that causes, and this is the most popular, that causes, um, causes physical ailments is, the, um, is emotional pain. Emotional pain is probably the number one cause of physical <laughs> ailments. And this is why, and I always feel bad for GIs, you know, gastroenterologists, who are stomach doctors. I always feel bad for those guys. <laughs> because if there's one place where you're never going to find anything wrong, it's going to be the stomach. It's just uh, something about the stomach, the colon in general. And notwithstanding, people have Crohn's or these kinds of colitis, things like that. But notwithstanding those things, which are also healable, even though the, the medical world doesn't feel they're healable, but they are healable. The, uh, but all those other digestive ailments, these people are going in there all the time and just say, doctor, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. You know, like they're literally dying and they can't digest anything anymore. They can't digest lactose and now they can't, meaning that's all dairy and they can't digest um, fried and they can't digest protein now and they can't digest this. And I just had a guy recently who can't digest vegetables and, and they, <laughs> vegetables? <laughs> they, they, you know, and good luck with a doctor. Uh, Hi, doctor, I can't digest vegetables. You know, you want to put on a glove and check? You know, like, not really, given that the last 50 patients over the last four days did not have anything actually physiologically wrong with their digestive tract. So, so it's really, you know, your digestion doesn't have a problem, but you may get a very tight stomach around certain emotional pain. So emotional pain is really, really a big part of human life. We have a ton of emotional pain and things are pushing your buttons all day long. It's like your whole body's lined with buttons and things keep pushing them. You know, it feels like, I feel like people have like more than 10 fingers sometimes because like they're pushing every button I got. You know, like we, we got a lot of buttons 
and and a lot of people and circumstances and situations and are all pushing those buttons and what happens is the emotional pain would have come out which would have been great because then you got to cry it out and like have a real good cry you know <laughs> imagine doing that like let's say some person only gets a stomach problem when they're going into uh, like you know wedding reception or something. so what do they do they get to the steps of the hall and then they just have a real big cry you know because because uh, uh, a wedding reception is going to have something to do with uh usually the fear of rejection meaning how, how am I how comfortable am I going to feel in my own skin in a wedding reception this is why most people have to go with someone to a wedding reception and, and which is fabulous for men because if I don't want to go to a wedding I don't go in anyway with my wife because we have separate entries so what's wonderful is my wife can go with a friend and I can stay home and drink beer <laughs> I don't have to escort her to to like Jewish functions, or I'll drop her or something. Drop her off. My wife, by the way, can go into receptions by herself. We've done enough work on ourselves that we don't need to team up to walk into a place. But I don't think either of us is beyond walking in there and just getting like deer in headlights, looking at a crowd, and then like digitizing the whole crowd to like discover if we like with a heat sinking <laughs> camera to see if there's like someone you know at least a little you know and I, I know him but I'm not sure what he thinks of me so let's check for somebody else and then of course there's nobody else so that's why they have a bar because a little alcohol takes the whole problem away now anyway but imagine you just before every time you're going to go to a wedding you just have a big cry over, you know, your fear of rejection, which probably came from God knows what, you know, some embarrassing moment when you were in kindergarten or something. You know. It was your turn to read the alphabet. The alphabet, and you skipped G or something. You know. <laughs> you know like, like, just have a big cry right there in front of the wedding. You know, they should really have a little w cry area. Like a little room where everyone goes and cries right before the wedding. You know. For alcoholics who aren't allowed to drink, you know, like, you know, alcoholics aren't allowed to drink, which I'll never, it's such a strange phenomenon, I'll never get over that, like, once you're officially an alcoholic, you don't drink anymore, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing in the world, you know, someone who's officially an alcoholic is no longer drinking, because, you know, they're at AA, and, like, they have to count the days, and, like, they... You know, hello, I'm Freddie, I'm an alcoholic, I've, I've got a button that says I haven't drunk in 30 years. and So I, I look at a guy and say, you know, like, if you haven't ridden your bicycle in 30 years, you don't ride bikes, bro. You know, you're a non-bike rider. Okay, so don't tell me you're an alcoholic if you haven't had an alcoholic drink in 30 years. Okay, now I understand, obviously, what they're trying to say is that they've got like a disease called alcoholism. I understand that, I get that, and that they're not drinking, but it's, it is a little strange <laughs> to be overly fixated on things you don't do. I mean, that's just a little weird. <laughs> you imagine meeting someone who's like, they, all they can talk about is ballet, and you're like, wow, amazing. When's the last time you went to a ballet? Well, I've, I, I watched one on TV when I was six. <laughs> Gee, maybe you should be taking medicine. So, um, 
Anyway, but we all have all this emotional pain, and the best way to deal with emotional pain if you're not going to actually feel it, which is the real best way, but if you're not going to feel your pain, which is the majority of us, I mean, for example, like, I could take any of you through the deepest depths of the most intense sob, like convulsive sobbing, where you wouldn't even be able to hold your own body weight up. I Meaning you, you'd, you'd hit the floor with intense sobbing and be healed of whatever ailment that was juxtaposed to, whether it was the knees or the digestion or the head or the chest muscles or some other part of your body that hurts a lot. So we, and you'd never have, you'll never have it again. You know, you just, well, you'll be free of that. So maybe we'll do that. Um, someone want, did I get a volunteer? You're, you're willing to do it? Wow. What's that? Seriously, you, you'll go for the full sob in front of everybody? I think so, yeah. You mind with the camera? <laughs> Let's clap for courage. Anyway, I was hoping some wingnut would raise his hand because he's smart. He's smart because the rest of us are crazy. We're crazy. We're holding on to all kinds of stuff. And we now some of you might say, well, in front of everybody, forget about it. Like, I'm not going to do it in front of everybody, but one on one, I would. You know? Okay, it's a thousand dollars. You in? Now, if I knew for sure that one of my things, one of my places I'm stuck, could be relieved by someone who had the ability and would charge me a thousand dollars for that, I would write him a check immediately. And then I would start making phone calls to someone put money in my bank account. <laughs> But I would waste no time in writing that check, for sure. You understand? Like, if you got some issue that you're that's getting masked by physical ailments and probably all kinds of other weird behavior, you know, because who knows what you're doing to like be vigilant to never have never have anyone like poke at it, all your buttons. You know, I mean, think about. Sometimes I look at people, no offense to anyone in this room, but sometimes I look at people and I realize that I'm only looking at what's left of them. What do I mean by that? Meaning they've removed so much of what is actually them. Meaning all this greatness that God gave them, they've removed so much of it to lower and manage exposure to some of those painful places in their hearts that that all we get of people is what's left. It's the leftovers of everything they've already sliced off to govern their, their um, pain, to, to, you know, to, to be vigilant from having their buttons pressed in their pain. So we're seeing so little of people. I myself, like, I'm, I believe truly that anywhere we're stuck is because the, deep down there's some button there that's so fragile and so scary. Like, for example, uh, we're starting this club for me that so, to get my social media work out there, and everyone's going to have a chance to, to give towards it and be part of a club, which I'll offer something to the people, I don't know what. And uh, we still haven't developed that. We're, we're, we're still deciding between profit or tax deductible. It's pretty obvious to go tax deductible, but... It's also bureaucratic. And you can imagine how good I am with bureaucratic things. But you hire people for bureaucratic things. 
They're called accountants. And anyway, the um, but I believe the reason I'm behind on my social media, and most people, by the way, in the Haredi community, they think I'm like really on the cutting edge of, of social media. I'm, I'm so social media inept. I'm so behind where I should be right now, which means I'm I'm totally put together or stuck. Which one? Stuck. stuck. And what I say, no matter where you're stuck, there's there's something in there that's getting put. There's a button there. And my work right now, the reason why I'm going forward with this is I'm starting to get in touch with the button that it's pushing. There's some button being pushed. If I if I get optimized in my publicity of the teachings that I'm teaching, it's going to expose me in certain ways that scare me from my childhood. And and so me as a full adult can bluff social media savvy. It's just that it gets so, it keeps increasing, you know, <coughs> tech goes much faster. So I'm way behind. Still holding up some kind of bluff that I'm like optimized in social media. And so I'm getting in touch with something now. And and I could go all the way. I could be the sobbing guy right now. I know how to, because I, I know how to do that. So I can just take myself there. And I will take myself there over the next days. I, I'm just kind of still figuring out its contours because I don't have someone taking me through this. So I'm still figuring out its contours. And I have a feeling I'm going to pop in the next couple of days and just have a big cry and then decide whether it's going to be a non-for-profit or for-profit and get it going. But, uh, but I, yeah, I've got to get it. I've got to have that up to date, and I have to be not the guy in charge. Just because, you know, at my age, like, that's ridiculous. And so far, I've been in charge. It's like, I probably don't even know one-tenth of the products that I should be using right now. I've never even heard of them. Online optimizing stuff. So. Now, um, anyway, but you understand, I, I'm stuck somewhere. And I'm in a bl- big bluff, which I've already identified. But where I'm stuck, I'm still identifying it. And and it, it's something really weird. Like, I know it's a weird one, because it's not... When, when you get to a certain point of this kind of work, you, you, the obvious stuff you already cried out. This is one of these more subtle things. And it has something to do with <coughs> exposure. It's... I'm still getting to know it. It's, it's something to do with, like, I feel like I'm going to get caught, which brings me down to, like, five years old, maybe. I have to get in there. There's somewhere in there that I'm going to get caught. By the way, those who know me well, I'm a really good guy. There's nothing to catch, meaning I'm a really, really clean guy. You know, I, I'm happily married, a faithful husband. I think I'm an okay rabbi. Do my best to keep all of Judaism, you know, like, I'm, I mean, besides maybe some intense extreme sports, but even though I'm careful, I'm careful. Uh, Fridays, by the way, we're paddling out six to eight feet this Friday. Uh, another dawn patrol. It seems every Friday. It's like this is the third week in a row that the waves are overhead on Friday. So that's really exciting for a lot of people who surf. Anyway... <laughs> But there's something that there's something getting exposed in me, and I'm gonna get to know it. And I'm gonna cry something out big in the next days. I know it's coming. I also happen to have a group. <laughs> conveniently, I'm leading a group of Israelis next week in in the deep work called the Possible You Seminar. So I'm taking a group of I'm Possible You Seminar. You can look it up. 
I'm taking a group of Israeli men through the seminar next week, five nights. And we have English-speaking men's for the first time in like nine months is going to be... Maybe you should stay for this, George. Oh, you probably are, your visa's probably up. Uh, I can't because I, I want to fly business in first class to, back to America. Well, that makes all the sense in the world, I suppose. So <laughs> don't worry about the Possum View Seminar. And the, okay. Anyway, but the Possum View Seminar for men is going to be February 24th in English. The next women's one is... Um, Muncie. In New York. Muncie, New York on the 11th, maybe? <coughs> Something like that. And the other one that you said for men. And any graduates watching this, uh, males, um, this is your last chance. We are, we're going, all the businessmen who can afford to do this are going with me to Costa Rica, February 3rd through uh, 8th. And uh, we're doing a, we're going a much deeper journey for, you have to already have gotten to the graduate level and then, then we're going, we're going deep, you know, in Costa Rica. So that's, uh, anyone watching this, you better WhatsApp me quickly if you'd like to be on the group because it's a limited space. So if I want to search for it, to give it to my friends, male friends, possible? ThePossibleU.org. ThePossibleU. Yeah, .org. Okay. Um, anyway, back to us. Is that the so the physical ailments are all there to mask that painful place, and so but people will live their whole lives with these ailments, and people get the the actual organs can get messed up, like literally messed up. It can show up on an MRI, meaning the stomach stuff's not going to show up, but eventually it could turn into to a colitis or something or a Crohn's. It can go that far, and. Oh, for sure. I mean, think what cancer is. Cancer is cells of the body. All your cells work for you. Your cells, everyone's cells in this room are working for you. Your cells would never go against you. You understand? They, they are pro-life. They don't resist life. But there can be, God forbid, someone whose cells flip rolls and their actual cells go against their body. There are people who, whose cells will actually go against them. Now, there's obviously lots of types of cancer and stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously childhood cancer wouldn't make any sense that their cells would be going against them. But there is such things as cancerous growths and stuff in the children. We should never know from it. And the, uh, but, but many people have identified where they lived in resistance. What's the opposite of resistance? Non-resistance. <laughs> Opposite? Flow. Flow. Acceptance. Acceptance. What else? It's the ultimate word for a spiritual path to climb the ladder of Jacob's ladder. Transcendence. Transcendence. The opposite of resistance. Let go. Let go. Excellent. Begins with an S. You are. Surrender. 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 So all of us, all of us, to keep your body, to keep your body working with you and not against you is to, is to be always practicing your surrender. What I mean by surrender is, is to, is to be, be with what's going on as opposed to resisting what's going on. So the window's closed, big deal. You know, go outside for a few minutes, get some fresh air. You know, but but don't resist the window close. Unless, of course, you can open the window. Which means go over there and open it. But 
good luck opening the window on an airplane. <laughs> and this person like goes loaded with Tylenol for airplane rides because for sure they're going to have a headache because the windows are closed. And so, anyway, but that's an, that is a, an example of resisting what is. We don't resist what is. Now, you can make adjustments, but have you guys noticed the temperature in the room here? Well, please take note of it. Is it exactly what temperature it is? <laughs> yes, and is it exactly not what temperature it's exactly not? Right. Now, would it help at all to resist the temperature that it is? No. No, but how many of us are resisting our mothers? <laughs> she is the mother you got, man. And she's, she is what she is. She's not what she's not. That's the mother you've got. But how many of us are resisting that? And this even goes for mothers who have moved on to the spiritual world, the soul world. Yeah, we can still resist them and even feel guilty if they've passed away that, uh, that we resisted them while they were alive and we never got to get over that. Well, and by the way, everybody, do yourself a favor and stop resisting your parents and do speak it out with them how much you love them and cherish them and all your gratitude for them. So if, God forbid, something happened to them, you wouldn't suffer having never said it. But there is always the opportunity at their gravesite on their yort site. Gravesite is English, yort site is Yiddish. But to to speak to them on their on their grave at their gravesite on the yor means year and site means time, meaning the anniversary of their having passed. That's a good time to talk things out. I and mean, write a letter maybe now and read it on the yort site at the gravesite. And if you have serious forgiveness you need, you bring meaning like something really was done wrong, then you bring ten men, you bring a minion with you, and you read it out or say it out. Um, if it's something that's shameful, you don't have to tell everybody. You can say it quietly at the gravesite if it's something that would bring shame to you or the family. Now, um, anyway, but that's where we want to be. We want to be at peace with our world around us where we're not at peace and there's that resistance and our body is amazing feedback mechanism so so you want to ask that part of your body you can talk to your body and why do i feel my finger right now on my on the back of my hand the answer is my brain's telling me that there's stimulation happening on the back of my hand which means that this talks to this it's, they're in a conversation. So if you're having an ailment, that particular part of your body will tell you what's wrong because it's here to protect you. And so in therapy, once put in a state of deep relaxation, we go to the part of the body that's resistant, that's resisting life, the pain, usually where pain is, and we speak to it. And we ask that part of the body, Yes or no questions to begin with, because it's not used to being talked to. I mean, when's the last time you talked to your stomach? When's the last time you talked to your low back? So we talk to it. So we ask it a lot of yes or no questions. And one of those most important questions is, are you protecting me from feeling something? And 99% of the time the answer is going to be yes. yes. And then you can thank it. And thank you for protecting me. This must have been some painful feelings, and, and I really appreciate you protecting me all this time. And, but I'm feeling safe right now to look inside. 
and see what's really in there. And then it will let you in. It will let you in there. And it will tell you all about it. And, uh, and you can go very, very deep there. And get all, get totally in touch there. And cry it out. Now, who are the happiest people in the world who have the least ailments? They don't care if the windows are closed. Who are the happiest people in the world? <coughs> who are the happiest people? The whole world, what? Kids, Kids. excellent. Toddlers. Toddlers. Toddlers, usually till around five, toddlers are the happiest people in the world. And it's very interesting, they've been doing MRIs on the brains of toddlers. Um, you know, those willing to pop their kids in that giant tube for probably a couple hundred bucks. But um, they've been doing tests on these kids. And, uh, and it's amazing. They have the same mind. The same brain scan shows up for, for, um, for expert meditators. Meaning people who've really paid their dues and have become, uh, have become uh, what do you call it, like top-level I mean, that's kind of counterintuitive to use the word top level because if you're a meditator, you're not trying to get up any levels. That's resistance or status. But, but com- let's call them committed meditators. So committed meditators and children have the same mind patterns on the, on the MRI. And uh, also, interestingly, people who, who are on plant medicines like psychedelics, like mushrooms, uh, have the same brain waves as the children and the meditators. They have, they, it actually looks identical to a two-year-old's mind. Now, two-year-olds, the happiest you ever were, full of energy. And have you ever had any? More, have you ever had more energy that you could put out in a matter of eight hours than when you were two? Incredible energy, happy. If they're sad, what do they do? Cry. Cry right away. They'll even sob terribly. They'll feel lost if you took something away, and they'll just be kicking the ground and scratching and banging it. And just... And then, uh, of course, they forget totally because they're present. They're totally present. So, like, they will be... Now they're going to feel fine, but then they're also going to get distracted by the next stimulation, whatever it may be might be even a bird flying by and they're totally there and I mean they're and when's the last time you were that present you know the answer is either you're a meditator or the last time you were that present was when you were a toddler and uh, unless you're taking psychedelics of course and the so so you are they're totally present also love our greatest need meaning love if you had love like the love you that we all really really deep down want You'd be so happy. And they have that love. They have that love. Think how they love. Think how they hug when you hug a toddler. And when's the last time you hugged someone like that? I mean, you probably shouldn't, you know, unless you're married to them. But, but they just like, their whole being hugs in, you know, like they're, they're just so loving. And, and, they're, and they're not afraid of anything. Meaning, I, remember I said before, when I meet people, I often feel like I'm meeting what's left of them. Well, what, what are the actual things that slice off who you would be? Fear of rejection. Do two-year-olds have a fear of rejection? Zero fear of rejection. Zero. you got to be careful with those two, because you'd be changing a diaper while entertaining people in your living room, and you suddenly get a cell phone call, 
And next thing you, you hear is it's your two-year-old entertaining them now. <laughs> They're putting on a little show, a little sing and dance, you know, in the buff for all your for all your house guests. So I mean, there is zero fear of rejection. I mean, they're in the Garden of Eden. They don't even know they're naked yet. And the, uh, and the zero fear of rejection. How, how's their fear of failure? How many times can they stand and fall, stand and fall, stand and fall, stand and fall? It means nothing to them. It means nothing to them. How many times they try to walk? It means nothing to them to fall until they're walking. And there are great lessons in success there from learning from that level of, of disregard to failure. They don't regard failure, having failed at walking failure. That's not their failure. Well, if you think about it, it makes sense because they don't have self-awareness. Toddlers have total awareness, just not self-awareness. So they're way more present, way more aware, but very not self-aware. They don't have much self-awareness. And they're, uh, they also are not afraid of being out of control at all. How many of us are like in a constant battle against people controlling them? You, know, you imagine I started telling you what to do? How'd you like that? Not very much. I'd probably like that. George, George, you've revealed a little too much. <laughs> TMI, George. So... All my students are wondering who this George guy is, by the way. They keep hearing me and George having these interactions. You know. I've been getting a lot of texts about George. See, I told you I didn't have any shame. Yeah. Okay, please God, you'll get some. So, anyway. But, but how many of us have... How many of us are, are these? Are what? Are the Marlboro Man. You know, or the Marlboro woman in your case. The uh, how many of us are just like riding off into the sunset alone, unguided? You know, just unguided missiles. Just I did it my way. You know, and it's just like <laughs> another implosion. You know, there's people who have walked the path of life. Like, let them guide you. But no, I was controlled once when I was little. No one will ever control me again. And so, and so we're like, you understand, but a little toddler, imagine a little toddler's playing in front of his house and, and a guy rides up on the motorcycle. He happens to be a neighbor who's a fine guy, but he rides up, sees the little toddler, the guy rides up on a motorcycle, like a real sport bike. Rides up on his motorcycle, you know, dark helmet, everything, you know. The little two-year-old doesn't know who it is, even though he lives five houses away. <coughs> he lives five houses away. And the guy just sees the kid and says, hey, let's give him a good time. Throws him on the back of the motorcycle. And he's just like, wing! You know, wheelies all the way down the street. The little kid's in the back just going, woo! You know, he's like, it's the best thing ever happened. It would be like his number one best day of that week, for sure, even though he can't remember yesterday because he's so present. But it was for sure the best thing that ever happened to him in his life, probably. At least if it's a boy. And even a girl would probably love that. And, and it, but imagine you ladies, or you gentlemen, imagine you're like in town later today. Some guy pulls up in a black leather jacket with a helmet on, a big sport bike, you know, 1,200 cc's, and just like grabs you, 
throws you on the back of his bike and just goes, Wing! you'd just be like, should I jump? Like, how would I die if I jumped? Or is it better get kidnapped and try to escape later? <laughs> like, that would be your thoughts. Anyway, the, the toddler's the most you just let things happen. Like, you let it flow. That's why we got to keep an eye on our toddlers, by the way. Because they, they do let it flow. And you and you gotta, you got to have some idea where they are and, and who's with them. And the... Uh, and the other is, uh, whatever, they, it's enough about all these fears. But that toddler is the happiest you ever were. That toddler is, is it, you know. And, and why are we even talking about the toddler? How do we get on this? Present. Mm-mm. Healing, moving into space, you know. Nope. Happiest people in the world. <laughs> yeah, why did we ask for the happiest people in the world? Was that how we got there? Was it resistance and then... Symptoms and happiness. Symptoms and... Right. Are you advocating psychedelics? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. Mushrooms. Um... I, no, no, I'm not like blanket statement like that. No, for sure not. Are you? Would you advocate it for like chemo patients or people? For like sure, them? for sure. Yeah, right now I'm dealing with uh, you know a case of a, a a person who's in his late 30s with a terrible stutter. Terrible stutter, mm-hmm. and I happen to know that that. Under the influence of psychedelics, the stutter goes away. So, so, but I'm a rabbi. So, what I'm thinking of doing is just sending him to someone who, sending him to someone who I know would recommend it. Is that the good way to go? I gotta protect my reputation. But I, I imagine that's uh, that's the way to go for him. It's just that me as a rabbi can't really, I can't really go there. So. But uh, they'll be legalizing these things soon enough for therapists. So, so they're, they're already um, uh, MDMA. You know what MDMA is? It's the, they called it ecstasy, but that's going, that's going to the FDA this year for, uh, for therapy, obviously. Only for therapists. And uh, so apparently the, the, they're having an 80% long-term success rate for PTSD uh, soldier soldiers who, uh, you know, so like, should that be illegal? No, no. We should we should be on the side of our soldiers rather than on the side of the war on drugs. You know, let's let's take care of our soldiers who fought for our country and make sure that they're able to build homes and families and move on with their lives. You know, if there's a, if there's a compound that makes a difference. I don't care that people like to dance at dance clubs on that particular compound. You know, let's take care of the soldiers. And, you know, anyway, people are going to access it with, with it being legal or illegal. Um, okay, so I'm trying to think how we got on this. But anyway, it's after four, so we can wrap it up. But before I send you all packing, let's just review this. And we can go deeper on this tomorrow. 
if we choose to, and start talking about all kinds of other alternative healings. Um, but the, but the, the main thing for us is to, is to know that inside all of us is that innate health. Inside of all of us is that innate health. That's inside you. And you can heal your life. You can heal your life. There is no reason at your age that you should be dealing with any physical ailments. Almost every person raised their hand that they have some kind of pain or ache or something on a regular basis. Almost every person raised their hand. And, and you can heal your life. And there's no reason to keep going with that. And the reason why I brought up having a guy courageous enough to sob in front of everybody or you spending $1,000 to go to someone for such a thing is that don't put a price on it. Don't put a price on it. Your life and your presence and your interaction with spouse, children, parents, is so God is so much more important than money. And it's even worth risking a bit. I mean, there's pretty scary healing sessions you can get involved in that are quite freaky. As long as it's kosher, as long as it's kosher, meaning don't get involved in like, you know, Reiki or things that are using other powers, but as long as it's kosher, get some courage and do it and heal your life. You can heal your life. You don't need to, you don't need to be getting nothing amputated by some conventional doctor when the whole thing's spiritual and emotional by nature. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.